morning. My name is Krista Young, and I get to share scripture with you this morning. We're reading from James 4, and this translation is called The Message. Where do you think these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours. Mm, let's start again. You lust for what you don't have. And are, I did that. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God gives against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Good morning. If I have not met you, I'm Olivia. My husband Jason and I moved here uh, back in December. You know you, you know that you are committed when you move to Minnesota in December. The first time that Jason and I ever had an argument as a married couple was just a couple days after our wedding. As we went to bed that night, he took the blankets and pulled them to his side of the bed. And so I took the blankets and I pulled them to my side of the bed. In which point he yanked a little harder towards his side of the bed and I yanked a little harder towards mine. He took the corner and wrapped it around his shoulder, so I took the side and wrapped it around my waist. He mumbled something about how I could at least give him a little. And I mumbled back that I had given him a little. And it was at that point that all of a sudden the entire pile of blankets was on top of me and Jason was out the door. A few minutes later, he came hopping back into the room completely encased in a mummy sleeping bag. And two feet, he bounded into the room, came to the side of the bed. He kind of had to half lay down and then throw the rest of his body on. And it was then that I realized this sleeping bag had not seen the light of day since 1989 Boy Scout camp. <laughs> and I lovingly looked at him and I said, you smell like the bottom of a teenage boy's laundry hamper. It was the first fight we ever had as a married couple. And we laugh about it now, 
And in fact, we laugh about quarrels often. And so when we come to James chapter 4, the language is almost shocking. Because when he starts to talk about fighting and quarrels, the language is strong to say the least. He talks about adultery and murder or envy and hate as he talks about fighting and quarrels. In fact, the language in James is so strong that scholars throughout the years have questioned whether that's really what he meant to say. They have attempted to tame down the language because how could it be so strong when he's just talking about quarrels? Other scholars have thought, well, maybe he's really talking about major wars. But when you look at the words he's chosen, he uses both fighting and quarreling. Fighting speaks of full armed battle, and quarreling speaks of just those little bickers. He covers the full spectrum. And the thing is, the strong language that he uses is not unique to James chapter 4. It is in fact consistent with the entire word of God. Throughout the scriptures, when quarreling and contentions and strife are mentioned, the language is intense. Proverbs tells us that there are six things that God hates. One of them is quarrels. It says that it would be better to live into the corner of the rooftop and to dwell in a house where there is strife. That it would be better to have a crumb of food than an entire feast with quarrels. There is no mistaking that scripture is strong. Jesus, when he taught the disciples, and Paul, when he spoke to the church, said there was no room for it amongst us. Jesus said, don't you get it? A kingdom divided against itself, a house divided against itself cannot stand. As Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that was engaging in all sorts of quarrels, he said, in our faith, there is no such practice. There was no room. There is no place. It is not to be named amongst us. And the language is so strong against quarreling because of the divisive power of contentions and strife. They are like a smelly sleeping bag between us. They divide us and tear us apart. Galatians says, if you continue to bite at one another, you will be devoured. Quarrels destroy. Last week, Rob talked about arrows and balloons and communication, and he talked about how when communication breaks down, we end up in these fortresses separated from one another. And Proverbs says that quarrels are like the bars on a castle. They are the permanent dividers, the things that lock us out from one another's lives. Like adultery, murder, and hate, and envy. 
That is why James speaks so strongly against this. We serve a God of reconciliation who says that he has given us and made us ambassadors of that same reconciliation. So it comes in no su- as no surprise that the passion in Scripture against contentions and strife is there. The Bible is filled with stories. We could read all day of the stories where contentions and strife rose up and divided families and friendships and kingdoms. We could look at the, our own history And look how quarrels and strife have brought down even the greatest of nations. And we could spend weeks talking about our own lives, the friendships we have lost, the relationships that have been destroyed, the families that are left in shambles because of a quarrel that put the final bars on the castle and locked each other out. And so I could stand here today and tell you we serve a God of reconciliation. He's made us ambassadors of reconciliation. And Paul says there is no room in our lives for fighting. So just stop. And it would be one of the most hopeless sermons perhaps you've ever heard. Because most of us will not make it through the rest of the day without quarreling. My family probably won't make it from the church door to the minivan door without some sort of quarrel or bickering breaking out. So we are in this dilemma. The Bible is telling us we shouldn't be doing it, we shouldn't be quarreling, we shouldn't be bickering. Christ says that we're supposed to be ambassadors of reconciliation, and yet we are human. And so there are fights amongst us. And so there are all sorts of answers around us. We can listen to Dr. Phil who tells us to fight fair, to pick our battles, that as long as we're picking carefully what we fight about, it's okay to fight. And he tells us to fight through. As long as we fight to the bitter end, it's okay. Maury Povich would tell us that we're all just one DNA test or lie detector test away from all of our problems being solved. Cable TV would tell us that we should just embrace the entertainment value of quarrels. Have you seen Dance Moms? (laughs) There's an entertainment value that we could just embrace. And some of us would say, well, I will just avoid it altogether. I will just steer away from any kind of contention and strife. And then what happens is we cut off person after person after person in our lives. Because we are human. And so contentions and strife and quarreling exist. You see Dr. Phil and Maury Povich and Judge Judy and Abby Lee are trying to deal with the symptoms which is what the quarreling is. And that's what James here is telling us. All these fights that you're having, all these quarrels that are breaking out amongst you, they are just a symptom to a greater thing that is going on inside of you. James is telling us we need to look for the source 
of our quarreling. He tells us that it is the desires that are in us that are not being fulfilled. We fight because we don't feel like we're being validated. We fight because we don't feel like we're being valued. We fight because we don't feel like we're being acknowledged, accepted, heard. We fight because we want to be right. We have things and needs and things that we're wanting the other person either to fulfill or we are trying to preserve those things from that person. And in our effort to make them fulfill it, in our effort to preserve that desire, we quarrel and we fight. So James is telling us, quit dealing with the symptoms of the quarrels and start looking for the source. Look to your own heart, your own desires, your own envies and covetousness. Seek the source. When Jason and I first moved here, back in Oregon, I was working a lot, 50, 60 hours a week, and I loved my job. I loved what I did. And I interacted with people all day long, and I was homeschooling my, my daughter, and we were driving an hour away to gymnastics, and I was just on the go all the time. And then we moved here, and literally everything stopped. And my world got very, very quiet very, very quickly. And it started to happen that every time Jason would get home from work, this bickering would start usually by me. And finally one day I said, don't you get it? You are the only human being that I talk to all day that I don't have to tell to put their shoes on. Be careful what you say to me. The source was that I was struggling with who I was because I had lost everything that I had identified myself with. I was struggling that perhaps God was done with me and I was looking to my husband to validate me again, to reassure me again, to fill that need. That was the source. In every quarrel, there is a greater source than the fight itself. Are you looking for value? Are you just wanting to be right? James is telling us, seek out that source. And when you have, he says, submit yourself to God. You have not because you ask not. What greater thing keeps us fighting than the fear of what might happen if we stop fighting? But if I don't fight for this, then this might happen or that might not happen or they might never understand that I, they might never see it my way. We fight because we fear that justice might escape us. We don't keep fighting. James is saying, you have not because you ask not. Submit yourselves to God. Ask of him. 
I went to a pretty small Bible college. It was a typical Bible college, you know, a ring by spring or your money back was the tagline. And all of us girls on campus, we had our list of the things we were praying for for our future husband. And I took a woman's study cat class, and the professor was a woman, and she stood in front of us with her hands on her hips, and she goes, you silly girls, why are you praying that your husband will play the guitar? She said, I've been married for 20 years, and I pray one thing every day. Lord, get him. Lord, you deal with him. And it was funny, it was meant to be funny, but in so many ways, isn't that so true? We try to fight for justice ourselves, and God is saying, just submit to me and trust that I will be just for you. I will be righteous for you. I will be truth for you. We keep fighting because we're so scared of what will happen if we stop. But if we submit to him, there is trust that he will be righteous where we were right. Just where we wanted justice. And truth where we wanted truth. And so we acknowledge the source. We submit to him. And then Paul said, or James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When we let go of being right, and we let go of the fear of what might happen if we quit if we quit fighting, suddenly our hands are open and we can come to God, draw near to him, and he will draw near to us and fill our hands with grace and love and mercy, and wisdom. I was working as a manager at a gym back home, and I made a decision one day that really upset another manager at the gym. And it turned into this crazy middle school running for class president argument. I would hang up a sign, and he would come behind me and hang up a sign over my sign. I taught cycling classes, and he would go in in the morning and push random buttons on the cycle stereo so that when I came in, I couldn't turn it on. He would sit in my office, and I would talk till I was blue in the face about why I had to make the decision that I made. And it got so frustrating, and the bickering was so great that I didn't even want to go to work anymore. And one day as I was going in, I, just, I was fighting tears, and I had to go teach a cycling class, and I didn't even want to go in. And I walked in the doors, and in the front row was a woman who came almost every day to my spin classes. And I stopped, and I started to talk to her, and I found out that two of her children have CF, something I didn't know. They had cystic fibrosis. And the older of the two was put at the top of the transplant list because her time was short. And I realized that the distraction of the bickering and the quarreling had so filled my hands that I had missed what I was really there for. We have to let go of being right, being justified, of being valued. We have to let go of what might happen if we quit fighting and receive the heart of God. 
when James writes this letter, the second, in chapter 4 is really the bottom of the sandwich. In chapter 3, he starts to talk about quarreling, and then he says something beautiful at the end of chapter 3. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And then he goes right into chapter 4, and again, back to the quarreling and the bickering, because that is the contrast. On the other side of the quarreling and the bickering and the strife and the contentions is the wisdom that brings peace and mercy and good fruits. But we cannot receive that wisdom when our hands are full and we are holding on to being right. And so when we seek the source, when we submit to God, when we draw near to him, these quarrels, these fights, this bickering that was once the most divisive thing in our lives becomes the greatest opportunity for God. You see, when we seek that source, when we go to what is causing the fight, we open ourselves up to healing. We stop dealing with the symptoms and start dealing with the source. We give God the opportunity to heal those things, to fill those needs, to give us value, to validate our lives. We experience healing. When we submit to him, when we quit, quit fighting for our own justice, we open up the opportunity for unity. We give up being right and the fears. We become vulnerable again to one another. We are in a position to be reconciled to one another, to be unified in him. This thing that once divided us, when we submit and draw near to God, becomes a space that he can fill with wisdom that is from above. But I love what James says when he gets to, to verse 8. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. One translation literally says, be miserable. And I love that as somebody who is always right. I know how miserable it is to give up being right. I love this because James goes, I get it. You're human. And this process of letting go of going to the source, of submitting to God, of giving up the right and the fears is really, really hard. Because what if you never hear, I get it? What if you never hear, I see it your way? It's a miserable thing sometimes to let go of that. It's a difficult 
process. But it's worth it. It's worth it. What we can find on the other side will always be worth it. And it's a constant process. It is not something we will master today or tomorrow or before we hit the grave. It is something we must commit to every minute of every day because we are human. We have desires. And those quarrels are going to rise up again and again and again. The more we submit, the more we seek the source, the more we draw near to him, the more we can experience the unity and the love. Because it only gets harder. <laughs> After 14 years of marriage, <laughs> we now have two kids. One who is a stealth ninja who always finds his way into our bed when we're not looking. Another one who loves to hang out in our bed after school, eating snacks and playing with her rainbow loom. So it is inevitable that every time I get into bed, I lay on a fork. <laughs> and we have a 150-pound dog who not only wants to sleep between us, but also at an angle. And now we live in Minnesota, where it's a little cold. And those covers are more precious in our lives than they have ever been. <laughs> It doesn't get easier. It's a commitment we make in our relationships with one another. That we're never going to quit seeking the source, submitting to God, and drawing near to Him. And when we do, what once was definite division becomes an opportunity for unity. And it opens up our relationships to greater intimacy and forgiveness, which is what Rob will be speaking on in the next couple of weeks. Song of Sol in, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, he says, two are better than one because when they lie down together, they will be warm got to let go of the covers. Pray with me. Lord, we do just acknowledge that there are things in our hearts, things in our lives that have separated us one from another, that have co caused quarrels and bickering, that have put bars on our castles. Lord, we just ask, even as we sit here this morning, that you would open our eyes to see and our hearts to hear the source of our quarrels and our bickering, Lord. May we submit to you, may we draw near to you, Lord, and as we do, Lord, grant us wisdom, wisdom that is pure and peaceable.